Welcome to 153 Great Podcasts, a ministry of 153greatfish.com. Praise the Lord, everyone. <clears throat> it's another edition of Christian Menorah. In this episode, I have a sermon by a young preacher from Illinois. His name is Antonio uh, Lacasio, and he is from Glenville, Illinois. And uh, he's the pastor of a church that had a COVID outbreak. And uh, he went through a significant trial. But I thought that his sermonal reference on the book of Daniel was important for everybody to hear. I don't necessarily agree with his ideas on tribulation or uh, end time, but I thought that he had some interesting points to make. So keep the meat, throw away the bones, and pray for this young man. He's a great preacher in Jesus' name. Method of buying or selling by means of a mark or of some kind of device would make no sense a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago. When John wrote this, he, he had no idea what it meant. However, today we can imagine, we don't have to imagine, we can see it, how a piece of technology could allow us to buy and sell or not allow us to buy and sell. And so um, the closer we get to the end, the symbolism and the meaning of the scriptures and prophecies will come to light. And so understanding Daniel will help us shine a little more light on the book of Revelation. So that's the, that's the plan here. Um, in Daniel chapter 3, in verse number 17, um, we read about the response that the Hebrew men gave to Nebuchadnezzar. They're about to get thrown into a fiery furnace because of their lack of obedience to a government ordinance and command to bow to a graven image, not a graven image, a, a molten image, image a, a statue, um, as if to worship. They were to bow when the music played. They were to bow to an image, okay? Now, again, we need to understand uh, Revelation by understanding Daniel. So here we have a king who was completely arrogant and wanted to be God on earth, a type of the Antichrist. And he proclaims an edict throughout the land, a, 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 an ordinance, a, a, a law, a new law. This is a law that now um, is now uh, mandatory and punishable by death. Death sentence, this is a serious law that you just brought on us. And so everybody obeyed the law. He was serious about this. I want to get you used to bowing to me. I want you to understand this is what the mind of the king was, was thinking. I want you to become accustomed to when you hear the sound of the music to bow to me. At any moment's time, I will have control and I will cause you to bow to me. And so we're going to practice that by erecting a 90-foot image of me in gold. And you will bow when you hear the music. And this ceremony took place. And um, known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that's their Babylonian names, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael were there. That's their Hebrew names. They were there, but they didn't bow. And they got in trouble. Somebody narked on them, and they were pulled into the office of the king or whatever, the, the courts of the king, and they were uh, to give a response and, and give an answer unto the questioning. 
of the government officials and eventually the king. And they said in Daniel chapter 3, verse number 17, he said, uh, If it be so, our God in whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. This is a proclamation of faith. They said, God will deliver us. They were confident that God had the power and was willing and would, in fact, deliver them from the hand of their now enemy, their opponent. And the fact that they were threatened with death, the death penalty, it didn't, didn't phase them. Verse 18 goes on and says, but if not, I wish I could preach a while on but if not. Let me, let me preach a moment on it at least. These men were beginning to give a bold answer to the opposition, to the, to the enemy of, of their life. The threat was upon them. They didn't have an option. They just were bold. And they said, uh, we're, not, they said we're not careful to answer you. We're not going to think about it. We already know what we're going to say. We, we're not going to bow. And, and yes, God is able to deliver us out of your hand. And in fact, he will deliver us. And then they go into this, but if not. And I think that we as Christians need to have a, but if not. I'm going to serve God while, and I believe he's going to bless me. Now, we have to also have this in us. But if not, if not, let me make it known to you, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. In other words, no matter what God does, I've already determined what I'm going to do. And so we have a but if not. In other words, I'm going to swim, but in case I sink, I'm still going to serve the Lord. I'm going to survive, but in case I don't, I'm still going to serve the Lord. I've got to make it unto the end. It's he that endureth unto the end. The same shall be saved. The race is not to the swift. It's not to who can sprint the first 10 years of their walk with God the farthest. It's not whose ministry takes off the fastest. It's not whose church grows the, the quickest. It's who makes it until the very end. That's the one that's going to make it. So we have to have a but if not. Spirit in us. Amen. Praise the Lord. What's the next verse say? Would you put that up for me? Verse number 19. They said uh, Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury. And from his visage he was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat up the firmness one seven times more than it was before it should be, than it was before, hotter than it should be heated. Why did he get so mad? You want to frost the devil or you want to you flame the devil up? You want to get the devil all furied up? Just don't bow to anything, any threat, any, any demand. Nebuchadnezzar is a type of the man of sin. The Bible calls him the man of sin or the son of perdition. We call him the Antichrist. John, in his letters to the church, he, he said the Antichrist is, there are many Antichrists. The spirit of the Antichrist is already in the earth. That was 2,000 years ago. Uh, I believe the Antichrist spirit was upon Cain when he killed Abel. I believe the Antichrist spirit was upon a man by the name of Nimrod. That's right, there was a man named Nimrod. In fact, the Nimrod was a world leader, and he dominated. He probably was a giant um, and had uh, authority and of strength, married a woman named Semiramis, uh, and they ruled the earth, and they erected the Tower of Babel. And this was the first type and shadow of Antichrist. And I believe the spirit of the Antichrist was upon the pharaohs of old. I believe Caesar and, and many other world leaders uh, had a spirit of the Antichrist. It's in the earth already. So when the spirit of the Antichrist comes upon you, um, it is a type of the man of sin. Nebuchadnezzar is a type of the man of sin. Let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 3. And also you can read about this um, Antichrist in Revelation 13. But 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 3 says, Let no man deceive you by any means. For that day, what day? The day 
uh, uh, basically the, the rapture, the, the day of, of the Lord. And we're going to talk about post-trib and pre-trib, but just let's look at this. That day shall not come except there come a falling away first. And the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. So he is a type of this son of perdition. There's a falling away, and then the revelation of the son of perdition. Then there's an image that is uh, a type of the image of the beast. That's in Revelation 13, 14. There'll be some kind of image in the end time that will be worshipped. So now, we have Nebuchadnezzar, and we have an image that you are to bow to. Now remember, bowing physically is Old Testament. Everything in the Old Testament is, is natural. It's outward. It's physical. In the New Testament, it's symboled by the Old Testament, but it's revealed as supernatural, as internal, inward, as spiritual. So it's no longer the physical burning bush that calls you with a voice you hear. There's some, some spiritual internal voice that calls you, some fire within. It's no longer a 90-foot image that you bow to physically. It's something that happens on the inside of you. There's an image. There's some kind of uh, image in the end that we are going to bow to. Uh, one scholar says that um, uh, six is the bad number. Six is the number of man. 666 is the number of this beast. 666. I'm sure you've seen a movie about it. Uh, but one scholar ceases his name. He said six is the bad number. And when multiplied by tens and hundreds, it denotes evil in its greatest intensity and most disastrous manifestation. This is what's happened, what will happen in the end. If you don't worship this image, you'll die. If you don't bow to this regime, you'll die. We'll throw you in a fire. In fact, we'll make it so hot that uh, you can't survive. We'll make sure that you won't survive. These three men, these Hebrew men, are a type of the nation of Israel that will be brought through the fires of persecution. The 144,000 that are sealed during the tribulation period, that's in Revelation 7. The testimony of the deliverance that they shall give during the tribulation period, it's similar to to this testimony that we read uh, in Daniel chapter 3. And so, uh, there's a couple of things. I'm going to talk about the lion's den as well. It's another prophetic story that is to help us in our end times. The, the thing that we all love to take out of this story is the end, right? The end is that while they are in the fire, they didn't burn. Did God deliver them from the fire? I'd, I'd like to say, yeah, well, really, he delivered them in the fire, through the fire. They didn't burn, but what was binding them did. There's something freeing about the fire that tries to destroy you, but ends up making you uh, uh, closer to the Lord. It gets you close. He was in the fire. Jesus appeared to them. In fact, Nebuchadnezzar elbows somebody next to him. He said, hey, bro, didn't we throw three men in the fire? Yeah. Well, I see four men. How did that fourth guy get in there? And they're walking around. They're not bound anymore. And that fourth one looks like, a, like the son of God. He looks like some spiritual being. What's going on? He calls them out. Three come out. Three went in. Four were there. Only three came out. That means the fourth man is still in the fire waiting for the church to go through trials, to go through fiery trials. Find it not a strange thing, church, if you go through a fiery trial. It's not the absence of God. Rather, it's the revelation of how God's power can deliver us through the fire. He can deliver us from the fire, but he delivers us in the fire as well. Amen. But always, ultimately, in these end times, we've got to learn to know and say within us, but if he doesn't, I'll burn with Jesus on my mind. I'll burn. You can cut my head off, and at my last breath, I'm going to praise the Lord. You can do what you want. Amen. And there have been brothers, your brothers and my sisters, that have been tortured, that have been beaten, that have been abused, not, not just because of some earthly temporal purpose, how great it is or how, how meaningless it is, but yet 
for a greater purpose, for a meaningful cause, for the cause of Calvary, for the purpose of Jesus Christ. People have been uh, uh, eliminated from this earth, tortured, abused. Why did they just, why didn't they just kiss the image? Why wouldn't they just bow? Because Jesus Christ has given us something far greater in another world uh, that is way greater than the enemy or any kind of trouble or trial that we can go through. So we've got to get inside of us a but if not. So, uh, let's move on to the den of lions here. If we fast forward to Daniel chapter 6, we find the beloved story of Daniel and the lion's den. Lots of Sunday school stories talked about it, but not a whole lot of prophecy uh, correlation. So let me try to give you a backdrop of this Daniel in the lion's den story. Darius is now king. He places 120 princes over his kingdom. And Above them all, as the president of the princes and of the lands, is Daniel. He was the first. So Daniel was now the most powerful man in the kingdom next to King Darius himself. What a tremendous testimony of God's grace. Daniel was a young man on his way to Babylon, probably in chains. They emasculated him. They removed from him any hope of a future, any hope of a family, any hope of passing along uh, a lineage or any kind of natural heritage. He was totally uh, given no hope in that regard. And so here he is in the will of God, serving a heathen people, a heathen cause, a, a pagan nation. The most evil and most corrupt government on earth has now taken him captive, but yet he kept his integrity and he kept his good character and God elevated him. Listen, if God puts you up, no man can take you down. If man will put you up, then man can put you down. If you're voted in as president, then you could... You, you might be impeached, amen. But if God makes you president over the 120 princes over Babylon, nobody can take you down. Not a bunch of lions, not a bunch of jealous others uh, that are out there concocting a plan or a scheme. No scheme or device, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Any tongue that rises up against you, God will condemn. Why? Because he has an agenda. He has a plan. And nobody can alter the plan of God. Not, a, not, not even a good man. Amen. So when we look at this, we can see the plan that God has for the church, for us, through trials. So here we go. God's grace brings Daniel into the kingdom, highest position offered to him. He was a true servant of God. He served for some 72 years. He was in his 90s when he died, um, serving under heathen kings. But because of his complete dedication to God, he was continually elevated and continually promoted. So when Daniel was approximately 90 years old, put this in perspective, he's at the end of his life almost, Jealous rivals tricked King Darius into signing a law stating that no god could be worshipped except the king. Notice end time similarity here. There will be an edict, a law that is declared that worship is now linked with, with politics. So when religious mandates are forced upon a nation and eventually that nation will take over other nations and force, is, you're going to see force as we get closer to the end time. What kind of force? Government force. Um, uh, dominance, a type of tyranny like we've never seen in the world before. The end time will, will uh, eventually come to that. Uh, the Jezebel and Ahab uh, reign also has a spirit of antichrist in there in that the Jezebel spirit does two things. End time spirit, do two things. One, it will deceive you. Jesus said one of the signs of the end. In fact, the first thing he said is going to be deceived. Many will be deceived. Deception is everywhere. And, and it comes through the media. It comes through music. It comes through the world common street knowledge and 
uh, um, you know, mainstream stuff. It, it, this deception is woven all in there. You'll hear people say, you know, we need to get woke. We need to open our eyes. We need to be enlightened to what's really going on. You hear smatterings of that here and there. What is that all about? It's, there's, a, there's a strong, and people sense it now, but eventually the light will dim and become harder to sense the deception. The sleepiness will come across the entire world. And Jezebel spirit will deceive you into uh, almost a seduction into loving this thing. You'll be deceived, not, perhaps not you or me, but others will be deceived into loving this new regime, into receiving it with open arms. The other type of spirit the end time will present to us in the Jezebel type of spirit will be a very dominating, very intimidating, and very forceful spirit. And so it is, come on, come love me. You don't love me? Well, then I kill you, right? Elijah, I'm going to cut your head off. And he freaked out because the spirit is so intimidating. And, and yet, but uh, she'll paint her eyes and sit in the windowsill and try to seduce you. So this type of spirit has two plays. And so you've got to be wise on, 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 on both. And so the end time spirit here um, that tries to bring Daniel uh, to his demise is, a, is a, a law that goes out that no God could be worshipped except the king. Daniel knew the law. He was next in charge he didn't care about the law he said uh, I lived my whole life serving God why would I even care to serve another you know I mean this this brother has seen a lot of things and uh, he's this there so be it you know I don't really care and so he, he's uh, or should I say it in a, hey, holy you know like whatever so he, he said I'm just going to pray in fact he had a custom of praying not once a day not twice a day, not morning and night, but morning, noon, and night. And so every six hours of the wake day, 6 a.m., 12 p.m., 6 p.m., he prayed to God. Perhaps he prayed an hour. He lamented. He, he wept. He, he repented for the nation. He cried out to God. In fact, he knelt towards Jerusalem, never lost sight of the holy city, opened his windows and prayed so his voice could enter into the atmosphere because he understood that you pray out loud. He understood you kneel before the Lord, your maker, and you cry aloud and you lift your hands and you're demonstrative. When it becomes difficult or contrary to culture or, or your life is on the line, what do you do then? Well, we do it as we did aforetime. Amen. So there's got to be some stickability. There's got to be some enduring to the end, or you won't make it in the end time. You won't make it through your trials. Amen. So Daniel's prayer life, his enemies were plotting to destroy him. I'm sure he heard about it before it happened. It didn't make him pray any less. It didn't make him pray any less. I'll say this too. It didn't make him pray anymore. If you knew the rapture would happen in two years, how would you schedule your life and do in the next 24 months? What types of things would you do in, in preparation for the end time? If you knew the rapture was going to happen in two years, what would you do? He didn't miss a beat. He said, I wouldn't change a thing. How many of us can say that? I wouldn't change my life at all. I wouldn't, I wouldn't add or subtract anything. I'm already living as if the rapture was going to happen in two years. Are you already living as if Jesus Christ could come back any moment? If not, then what are you waiting for? Now is the time to start doing the things. If God tells you to do it, you see it in the Bible. Don't question it. Don't hesitate. If God speaks to you, let me give you some advice. Those of you taking notes or mental notes, whatever, this is an important statement coming at you. When God speaks to you, it's in a still, small voice. One time. You'll hear it clearly. And then if you allow it, doubt will settle. And the doubt will push the voice away. Ever so slight, you'll, you'll wonder, did I just hear from God? Was that you, Lord? And then you start laying out fleeces like Gideon. Gideon got his answer. Sometimes we don't. God, if that was you, say it again. God, if that was you, let a blue car pass my path. You know, some silly prayer. God, strike that tree with lightning if that was really you. God's not obligated to speak a second time. He that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the voice of the Spirit is saying to the church. And so my note to you, my important uh, uh, um, 
tidbit here of wisdom that you need to have is that if you hesitate in responding to God, the voice will fade out and you'll almost as if you'll forget it ever happened. But if you respond immediately and you, 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 you hear the, the spur of the moment, the spur hits you and you move in the moment, right? And, and, and you respond to God. You give out that gift of tongues. You give out that interpretation. You give out, you do speak to the person. You do get on your knees in that very hour, in that very moment and pray. You do read in scripture and conviction hits you. You say, man, I've got to stop doing that. I am convicted about this particular situation, about this particular relationship, about this particular lifestyle choice that I have. And you begin to make decisions to respond to that immediately, then it will become... Uh, you will see things happen in your life. If you don't respond to it immediately, there's a chance it will fade out like it never happened. So Daniel didn't change what he knew God was calling him to do. He he didn't add to his prayer life. That's the whole point of that. Amen. I'm sure a lot of people are praying now. Coronavirus, there are are peaceful protesters. That's, That's constitutional. That's great. But the riots, they've got people upset, disturbed, some people afraid. Amen. Um, What's going to happen? What kind of response will the police force have in our nation? What's going on? There's fear. There's things that are unsettling. And people start turning to God. That's a good thing. But let it not be so of us who have already heard from God, who already believed in God. Don't need foxhole religion uh, or some kind of pressure to cause us to serve the Lord. Let me encourage you. You're as close to hell now as you will ever be if you are serving the Lord. Don't wait for it to get hotter. Don't wait for it to get more dangerous. People want to know about the end time so they know how much time do I have to party and live my own way. Don't think that way. You don't have any more time. Let's serve the Lord now with vigor, with passion, with, the Bible says with violence. That means passion. Let's take it by force. That means be intentional. Be 100%. Let's have a, a a unified mind frame and say, God, whatever you have for me, I'm going to embrace it. I'm going to do it. Here it is, these two practical lessons that we can take. A life of faithfulness and dedication, a life of prayer, a life of faith will keep us in the end time. Daniel's life teaches the value of faith. His faith in God is clearly revealed by continuing to open his window toward Jerusalem. Amen. This is not an act of presumption or, or some kind of rebellion. It's just an expression of his faith. All Jews, like Daniel, all the Jews had a habit of praying while facing Jerusalem. He didn't change. His enemies knew this habit, and that's why they wrote the law. They relied on his consistency. And so the law will be written that the faithfulness of prayer, the godliness and the testimony of the people of God is going to be an attempt to break it. There's going to be an attempt to snare it. Uh, uh, amen. In Hebrews 11:33, it says, the faith stopped the mouth of lions. There will be some lions. The Bible says that there is a devil, and he is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Well, our faith uh, can stop that mouth, that roar. Our faith and our firmness and our stability and our consistency can make an impact in our day-to-day. Do you have a Daniel prayer life? Do you have a Daniel backbone? Well, let's get one because our city needs it, and the call of God is upon on us. You've been listening to 153greatpodcast.com, a ministry of 153greatfish.com. Please subscribe, and better yet, help us by contributing. God bless you.